scripture reading today is from Acts chapter 10. I'm going to read the first 23 verses. In our uh, publications, I noted that if you read through about halfway through chapter 11, you'll get the same story three times over. I think that means it's really important, and you'll notice in the message that three is actually a pretty important number in this story. But for now, I will read um, Acts 10, 1 through 23. Hear the word of God. Actually, I saw that some young kids left, and I was probably at some point in there supposed to dismiss them, but you figured it out. That's excellent. That's in that category of making announcements and catching details. Acts 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who's called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. And then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius, a centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. And Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. This is the word of the Lord. Sorry, I said I was not going to sit on the chair. And so, mostly what you can trust before the service when I give instructions is I'm not sure exactly how it's going to go. Um, so, today we are looking at um, 
back there. That'll work. So I saw this sign driving home from here to my house um, months ago. And I guess the thing I want to say about it most is um, it caused me to react because that's what signs are supposed to do. My reaction was, oh, man, how come we didn't come up with that? Why didn't the church have this sign? I did some research into where the sign came from. It started in Oakville, I understand, from a time around when one of our own plowed down some Muslim people in London. And someone thought, we need to do something. And they made a bunch of signs. The problem with signs, in my opinion, is you're not always sure the story. You come with a lot of assumptions when you see a sign. I do. If you have a Green Party sign on your lawn during the election, one of my assumptions is you're probably going to vote for the Green Party or you didn't know what the sign was there for. But I might come up with some other assumptions about you based on my thoughts on the Green Party, pro or con. So signs are an invitation. Signs were what Jesus' miracles are actually called in the Bible. They're an invitation to go a little farther and a little bit deeper. And so this sign, after my initial reaction of, man, why didn't we come up with that, was to say, let's lean into, what does it mean? And the series we're doing right now, most of the titles I've been giving you have come straight out of the book that we're using. They're just the theme of the week. But when we came to this week's theme, I thought, no, that needs to be said as hate has no home here. And so we are going to look deeply into that. So we're looking at the book of Acts. And, and what I want to say about the whole book of Acts, very briefly anyways, is that the book is about reckless inclusivity. And hang on to those words because in... Um, December when we do Advent in preparation for Christmas, that's actually going to be our theme. We're going to look at something else then, but we are going to be looking at reckless inclusivity because the book of Acts, the, the start of the church, was God's wild plan of inviting people in. He starts with Philip. Um, the first story of an individual conversion is Philip. And Philip, sorry, it's not of Philip, it's by Philip. Philip's told by the Spirit to go to a chariot, and in that chariot is an Ethiopian eunuch who for some reason had gone to Jerusalem to worship, which is weird because a eunuch would not be allowed anywhere in the temple because of his sexual status, right? And I looked at that story and I thought, of all the people God could have chosen to be the first one to be in the story of Acts, where there's a specific story outlining his story, why did he pick the Ethiopian eunuch? But do you know that in Egypt, where the Ethiopian eunuch was, of course, going um, in Egypt and Ethiopia, that's where the Coptic church, the oldest Christian church, which is still powerfully in existence, began. And then you have Saul, Paul, right? We're probably so used to the story in, in um, Acts 9 of Paul's conversion, right? Why do you persecute me, Saul, says Jesus. So the second story is God's choice of the most vocally and active anti-Christian of the time. He was persecuting the church. He was a headhunter for those who were against the church. That's God's second 
inclusivity. And then today's story of Peter in chapter 10. We'll go to that one in detail. So we're starting with a Roman's Roman. At Caesarea, which was named after Caesar, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion. And a centurion is the head of a, a regiment of probably about 100 men, um, a century of men, if you will. And um, so this man was as Roman as they get living in, as Roman as the city. Caesarea was set up basically to be the place where the army worked from. It was headquarters, right? And so this was the Romans, Roman in that Roman army, the conquerors of Israel at that time. But the other thing we need to know about this man Cornelius is that he loved God and he loves his neighbor. He seemed to understand those, that basic commandment that we keep coming back to. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. And when the Bible says God-fearing, it usually basically means he wasn't Jewish by nationality. He was Jewish by conversion, right? That's what a God-fearer was, sort of a, a technical name for that, right? He's a convert. He gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. So we have, again, this reckless inclusivity of God, right, going from Jerusalem to Judea and to all the earth, right, that kind of picture going on. And here he's inviting in this Roman. That's what this story is about. Well, one of the first things that needs to happen with somebody with the kind of authority that Cornelius has is that he needs to understand who has more authority than he does. And so he meets a commander in God's army. It's an angel, right? But if you know the story of Joshua in the Old Testament, when Joshua meets the angel of the Lord, he says, who are you? And he says, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. So he's meeting an angel, and the angel speaks to him. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision he distinctly saw an angel of God, and the angel said to him, Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. That's exactly the kind of command that Cornelius would have given to his men. Now this angel says, How about I'm in charge now? God's speaking to you through me. Go and um, seek out this Simon Peter. And he does. Notice how many times God is at work in very particular ways in this story. Because now Peter's put in the position. Peter went up to the roof to pray. Always note that God uses the regular disciplines of his people, right, to find those opportunities with which to speak to him. He became hungry. He uses our natural needs as well and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, I'm assuming because he wasn't at home, um, someone else was preparing that meal for him, he fell into a trance. And it wasn't a hunger stupor. Um, it was a spiritual trance, right? So we've had an angel already. We've had prayer, right? Now we have this trance. And in this trance, he sees heaven opened and in that opening of heaven the sheet is laid down and there's those animals there or yeah the animals are put on it and pete's told peter's told to take it and eat and i call him peter the often converted because if you read through the gospels and you watch peter he has this incredible ability to blurt out the wrong thing and we should thank him for that because all the wrong things that he blurted out are things we might have said that we now have a correction to from Jesus, if you will, and usually a correction in powerful grace. So the voice speaks to him, and it speaks to him a second time here. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Peter's answer to that sheet of what would have been unclean food to any Jew, impure food, was, no, Lord, I've never done that, Right? And you're thinking the minute he said that, he'd been having echoing in his head all the different times he told Jesus that he wasn't going to do what Jesus said, including the three times 
that he denied Jesus. He said, Jesus, I will never deny you. And then that night yet, three times, he does. And here again, it happens three times. Right? Peter gives me great comfort because Peter is a person like me who needs to be converted again and again and again. A person who kind of loses his way and even in the passion of what he thinks he's doing to help God's journey along, kind of gets in the way. And this repetition of all these things that happened three times to bring Peter back, I think are God's way of showing his grace again and again and again. And just in case you weren't sure God was at work, this slide I call Trust the Guide, because it's the Spirit now who says to him, Simon, three men, there's that three again, just making sure he gets the point, are looking for you. Get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Right? And I don't, I don't know that we can truly appreciate what an incredible command and challenge this is for Peter. So all his life, he's been told, this is how you follow God. You do not eat that kind of food. And while he's at it, all his life he was told, this is how you follow God. You do not hang around with those people. They're Gentiles. They're unclean. And if you do hang around with them, you've got a seven-day cleansing. Imagine that, a seven-day fast, right? Actually, we can't imagine that. We had COVID going on. You got 14 days. Never mind. You totally understand that part. And so Peter's world, his religious upbringing, is being completely challenged by the Spirit, by this vision, and by this experience to see it at least somewhat differently than he has along the way. But wait, there's always hospitality. Then Peter invited the man into the house to be his guests. When I first read that, I thought he's disobeying the command. The command was, don't be afraid to go with them. And his reaction is, I'm going to invite them in. But of course, this is a, a warm culture. I think about this a lot because I've hung around lots of warm culture people. Most of us, if you share my background, you're a cold culture person. doesn't mean we're totally cold. It means we're just a lot colder than a lot of other people. There's a lot of cultures where you do not get to talk about business until you've talked about family. I always talk about my friend, Pastor Peter, the Spanish pastor I worked with in Brampton, right? And we would have a meeting about stuff that's going on in the church, and I'd say, Peter, and then he would stop me, and we'd talk about Ruthann and my kids and his family and his kids and his ministry and all those things. And then when I'm, if I could still remember what the point was, I would say, oh, yeah, how about this? And then we would get into that. It's beautiful. It doesn't bless my efficiency bug, right? But it's beautiful because people suddenly become more important than task. And so Peter invites them in because hospitality is everything. They have now been um, sent to him by God. And so the thing he needs to do is say, how do I enfold you into my home? Right? And I I mention that in this context because as the Spirit's guiding, there's always going to be a hospitality component. Right? And since I've already claimed for most of you that you are with me in cold culture, recognize this. What we do in cold culture is we are very friendly But the challenge for us is to go to the next step and say, why don't you come into my life, into my home, right? That's a bigger step, and most of us have some room to grow in that area. Then the other part of the hospitality, verse 24 up there, the following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and they'd called together his relatives and his close friends. This was not a one-on-one meeting. This is the whole community, and we're going to find out that Peter brought a community. This is the meeting of two cultures and two communities. So they're called to experience this change. He says to them, Peter says to them, you're well aware that it is against our law 
for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. I've mentioned Bema here a number of times. I'm working through, listening through the parts about um, the Sermon on the Mount, which also talk about Jesus saying, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, right? And so this isn't, again, about God saying, oh, those laws don't matter. It's about Jesus saying, this is the actual reason why all those laws are in place, right? Because God was preparing a time when um, what was kept separate in Judaism and his people in the Old Testament would be multiplied out as it's happening here in the book of Acts. And then teaching to change. I now realize, Peter says, how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. God doesn't show favoritism. I can't imagine anyone's going to argue with that. But I think the heart of this reality is how do we fully live into that realization? How do we, um, how do we fully embrace the fullness of God's reckless inclusivity in the way we live? Well, we do so by multiplying that change. The circumcised believers, the other Jewish people around Paul, or Peter, sorry, who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. This made no sense to them. How could somebody like that have the Holy Spirit of God? I think he might have been saying, hate has no home here. Do not call impure that which God has called pure. So what I want to do with you is walk you through these different symbols that you see. Because I think this, this sign was up because somebody felt, you may think how you feel, I guess, feel how you think. Somebody felt that hate does have a home in our country. And hate has a home in a lot of these areas. So let's spend some time thinking about confessing if we need to, and then working towards eradicating these kinds of hates. Hate for, so one of the things you see is the Canadian flag, hate for non or not yet Canadians has no home here. Um, you probably understand if you live in Canada that this is an immigrant-based culture. The great irony, I think, of Canada, and this is an immigrant-based community, is that once we're here, and living in Canada, we start complaining about the fact that people from other people are coming in. And if you don't do that on the Canadian level, you definitely do it on the small town, small town level, right? Because we live in this area because it's a smaller town, certainly, than where I came from. And it's kind of really nice that it's smaller. But then people like me come from across the lake. And a whole bunch of people like me come from across the lake. And the town's getting bigger, right? And we don't like that because we're losing the size of our small town. I want to be able to move to the small town. I don't want everyone to move to a small town because then it's a large town. I don't have a solution for that. I'm just naming it, right? That, that dynamic, I mean, I hear that language among us that it's okay for us to be new. But how do we really feel about other new people kind of moving in and taking up a bit of the space that we really have enjoyed? It's a reality. 
We didn't think about that one. And then hate for BIPOC has no home here. It stands for black, indigenous, and people of color. Racism has no home here. And again, I don't think, again, anyone would argue with me that we should be allowed to be racist. But allow me to suggest to you carefully that we have some work to do on becoming less racist. You know, there's, there's microaggressions, there's assumption things. One of them I have noticed, I'll try and say this carefully, when I tell people that I moved here from Brampton, one of the first things many people talk about is the racial makeup of where I came from. Why? Why is that the first thing that we would talk about? Right? We see this stuff and we have thoughts about it and maybe those weren't negative thoughts, but we need to be deeply aware of how we see those who look and sound differently than we do. One of the realities of COVID time was that in the midst of COVID, we all had a little bit more time to pay attention to the news when um, George Floyd was murdered. And um, it gave us a level of awareness. And I hope it also gave us, because you probably recognize this, this area is also becoming more multicultural, a little slower than some other places, but it's happening. We need to pay attention because when this community becomes multicultural, this place needs to become multicultural at the same time, right? And inviting somebody who looks like you in is a lot easier than inviting somebody who doesn't look like you, mainly because we have no idea what some of the conversations are that need to take place, right? When I have walked with people from other um, cultural and, and um, ethnic backgrounds, there's so many times where what I say is just plain inappropriate. And it's not because I'm mean or intentionally trying to hurt them. It's because I haven't listened long enough. I haven't asked enough questions. I haven't quite fully understood. Right? Um, the, the I in there is, is indigenous. Um, I'm reading Ruth Anna and a number of others are, are studying um, indigenous realities around us. And we're kind of dripping that in. We once a month do the land acknowledgement here. And I know that for many of us, that's not right in our faith experience but it's our collective cultural experience, right? It's not that far away from us where there is a reserve where there are a lot more indigenous people. Um, being from Brampton where there are a lot of people who come from India, having people called Indians when they're indigenous kind of bothers me. But I've decided I've got to get over that because every time I read a book by an indigenous person, they talk about themselves as Indians. So apparently they don't mind, so maybe I shouldn't be too worked up about that. I encourage you and if you need any options, to read a book. I'm re I just finished a novel um, by an indigenous person. It's a great way to lean into this. It doesn't get you into all the theory and all that kind of stuff. It just tells you the story. And you realize we don't see the way that racism takes place and how deep it was and how automatic it was and how horrific it was what happened, um, particularly in the um, residential schools. Because right? we should have come up with a sign. We shouldn't have come up with residential schools. We should have come up with the sign, hate has no home here, right? And I think that's the thing that troubles me most as I see that sign and realize it may have been a Christian, I'm not sure, but it, was, it wasn't the church's collective idea to do something like that. We're still fighting over how we handle these things instead of just coming up with the brilliant truth. There's no space for hating people because they look different from us. And then this one, maybe a little harder, 
Hate for people of different religions has no home here. You see all the religious symbols in that, in the one heart. Um, and um, I think I was brought up, not officially or formally taught that I was allowed to hate people from other religions, but I kind of caught that. Right? That they're wrong, and once you've decided somebody's wrong, you sort of have permission to dislike and to push away and to treat with less reverence and respect than any image bearer of God deserves. I think we need to be deeply attentive to this one. It doesn't mean you have to just say, hey, everyone believe whatever you want. It's no big deal. It's how do I use Jesus' approach to entering into somebody's life? Pretty much everybody who Jesus ran into had a different religion than him, right? Because he was starting Christianity, so he was on his own. So everybody he ran into, and you see that in his conversations, he was bumping into that, and it's not like he never argued with people or challenged them, but there was this incredible reckless inclusivity to his loving as well, that he would enter into the lives of people and ask them questions and wonder, please don't feel guilty for liking somebody from a different religion. Feel free to love people from different religions. And love isn't only, I love you so much that I need to convert you. Love is, I want to understand you. Because, you know, God is actually at work long before we get anywhere, right? As Pastor Peter preached a number of weeks ago, Jesus goes way before us. And so there's a reason Jesus is helping you meet somebody from some other background, religion, or whatever other kind of difference from you. Because he's already begun to open the door. And if you ask questions and listen to the Spirit and listen to the person, you're probably going to bump into, that's why Jesus has me in this conversation. And it's okay to learn. It's okay to learn, even from other religions. I think some of that stuff just needs to be said. And then hate for people with different sexual experience and identity has no home here. As you're probably aware, um, our denomination is dealing with a human sexuality report, and the heart of which, um, for most people, seems to be the conversation around homosexuality. And let me be clear, officially anyways, it doesn't matter where you are on the interpretation spectrum around homosexuality in the Bible. Nobody is officially saying, if we think homosexuality is wrong, therefore we have the right to hate them. I just want to say that if you listen to the stories of people who've experienced gender challenges and issues and differences and all those kinds of things, people of the LGBTQ plus community, they will tell you that they feel that, right? And I don't know how we're going to land on this theologically, but there's no room for people to feel hated and left out. That's not an option, because hate has no home here. And it's pretty hard when we decided, again, this sounds like the religion one, it's pretty hard when we decided that somebody is wrong to also embrace them. But you have to find a way to embrace them. Because hate has no home here. We really should have come up with that sign ourselves. Hate has no home here, but love does. I don't want to end just saying it in the negative. Love God and love your neighbors. Be surprised by God's reckless inclusivity and his reckless love. Be surprised by what happens when you are allowed to include others and love them as well. Sometimes we think that if we embrace somebody, 
who's other than us, who's different than us, who disagrees with us, that we're now saying that everything about them is okay. That's a tough line because that means you can't embrace anybody ever again in your life. And you know that's not a good idea. Everybody has a difference from us, right? We are a community of people with different perspectives and views and experiences. Hate has no home there. Pushing people away has no place in the church. We are called by Jesus who said, I'm going to lay down my life for you while you're yet sinners, while you're about as screwed up as you could be. I'm going to embrace you and turn you back into the image bearers that you're meant to be. And so it seems pretty simple that what our call is, is to go out, embrace with that same kind of reckless inclusivity and see what God can do through us when we do just that. Like we said last week, two weeks ago, simple to understand. Hate has no home here. Love does. Not always easy to do. Pray, support each other, listen to the Spirit. Allow God to speak into your life the way he's spoken to Peter's. But remember, hate has no home here. Love does. Let's pray. So Jesus, help us again to see your incredible love. Help us not just to know the story of your love, but to feel it. Help us to be in tune with what it feels like to be embraced and accepted and understood, even in our areas of difference, particularly in our areas of difference. And Lord Jesus, as we do so, soften our hearts and steady our hands so that we can step into places that we may not yet understand but where we know your love is meant to go. Lord Jesus, we proclaim in your name that hate has no home here, but your love does. Your love does. It has come with power in you. Help us to allow you to embrace us and to follow you. In your name we pray. Amen.